everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of Just Getting Started. I am your humble host, Rich Eisen, sitting in the host chair for a, a good show, a fun show, a fascinating show, a very introspective edition of Just Getting Started. This man's origin story is quite fascinating, but only perhaps more fascinating by his complete reinvention. As somebody who's got a massive Twitter following that's uh, shown up for his sense of humor, as well as his political takes, and then, of course, his positivity. What he exudes on his Twitter feed, at Rex Chapman, is something that has caused more than seven figures of followers to come flock to him and see what he's got to say and put some neat stuff in our timeline. Of course, many of you might know Rex for his basketball playing days at the University of Kentucky or his decade plus in the NBA. And his story and what he's done to get to where he is, where he's been, and how he got out of it, is perfect for just getting started because the man got started like the house of fire in Kentucky and then the NBA that fire got doused by an addiction to opioids and now he's somebody who's got a great story to tell I can't wait for him to share it right here on just getting started here he is my guest on this week's Just Getting Started is a man who you enjoyed again, as I mentioned at the top in his basketball career, but what he's doing now through his social media feeds as well as his podcast, The Rex Chapman Show, is second to none, and it's something that we need in this day and age is somebody speaking his mind while also injecting some positive into our world. He is Rex Chapman. How are you, Rex? I'm great, Rich. Uh, thanks for having me. This is an honor, man. <laughs> I, I know that this is a little bit of a, this is a different kind of pod. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm all in. I you know, I, as you know, I can I think I do because I ask people for, to come on my pod. Come on my pod is kind of the new read my script. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, but then so when something that's a little different comes along, I, it piques my interest, and I know this one's a little different for you. Well, I appreciate this, and as uh, I say this in advance, um, you know, this could be the home of the home and home, Rex. I'm more than happy to Thank you, return buddy. the favor because I know you do your pod with uh, Josh Hopkins, or as he as he is known on his Instagram feed, Mister Josh, Josh Hopkins. Hopkins. Um, and um, the actor um, is uh, in him is only surpassed by the human. I've had many a fun nights right. uh, with Josh Hopkins. He's a good and dude. An amazing dude. He introduces himself as uh, the guy on the show with Courtney Cox, not called Friends. <laughs> <laughs> he was great in Cougar Town. I mean, that is true. Oh, no these question. are th these are not uh, these are not wrong facts to point out. He's a but, talented, talented dude. But you know, it's interesting because again, um, starting this pod two months ago or two and a half, they all ble bleed into each other these days. You know, I wanted to start something that is different from what I do on a daily basis where, you know, you've been on my, my regular daily radio TV show where there's 15, 20 minutes. And clearly, you know, we will talk a little sports here. Um, but you know, we can't get in depth into what makes people tick. And the, yeah. the thing that I wanted to bring to a lot of people's mindsets, certainly with the pandemic having hit hard for so many people. And before all that life was tough for so many people and things getting tougher is that, you do have within you um, the ability to turn a page. You do have within you the ability to set your mind to something new and try to, as the title of this podcast goes, just get started, just getting started. And everybody's got an origin story. So let's start with yours. Um, how, how, when did you first realize that you could play or when did you first realize that you had a gift, Rex? Oh, man, I... For basketball, I guess, is what you're you're talking about. Sure. I, I, I guess from a young age, I, my dad coached basketball. So I started going to his practices from, you know, kindergarten. I First grade, I would leave school and take the bus over to high school where his practices were. And I'd do my homework while his teams were practicing, usually rushing to get my homework done. But I would watch it. And, you know, he had, I thought, really good players. And actually, one of the, a couple of them were Jeff Jones, who – ended up going and being Ralph Sampson's point guard at Virginia, played for my father in high school. So I grew up watching Jeff Jones play. And I started learning to dribble between my legs before I knew it was hard, you know, when I was five. So by the time I was seven, I could really do all that stuff. I I knew that I had I was skilled, but I was never a great athlete until probably middle of high school. And at that point, my athleticism kind of came together and 
I guess around that time, I started knowing that I was I was better than you know most of the kids in my grade. And so, uh, when did Kentucky come knocking on your door? When did that happen? Uh, Louisville was first, and I I'm grew sure. up a, a big Louisville fan. I was mm-hmm. Daryl Daryl Griffiths, my all time favorite uh, guy, and so it was a big thrill to you know end up playing against him in the NBA for a couple years. Ultimately, so uh, but I grew up uh, a Louisville Cardinal fan. And they were closer to Owensboro, where I was from. They started recruiting me as a sophomore early in my sophomore year. And I had told Denny Crum, you know, I'm, I'm coming to Louisville. And then right at that time, uh, Joe B. Hall resigned from Kentucky. Eddie Sutton took over. They asked me to come for a visit. I went for a visit. And um, my grandmother lived in Lexington. That, that helped. And um, But, yeah, it was going into my, well, I guess going into my junior year of high school. They came calling and then pretty much, you know, all the other schools did too. But I, and I had a real fascination with Carolina uh, from growing up. I visited Carolina, NC State, um, you know, Jimmy V came to my house for an in-home visit. What was that like? <laughs> and I'll tell you exactly. Um, it was the middle of the day. I came home from school one day. I went in the house. I saw a car was parked outside. And I started to go out there. And as soon as I started to walk out to see who was in the car, Jimmy V, he's in this car and he's going and he's pointing at his watch saying, no, 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 you can't. I can't talk to you yet. And he was waiting for midnight. It had to be midnight before legally he could be there and talk to me. But he was there, you know, he'd come from Raleigh, Durham. And I'll never forget him uh, coming into the house and say, finally and talking to me and my, my mother and father. And he said, you know, what do you want to study in school, Rex? And I said, business. And he slapped me in the face and said, business, we got the greatest business school in the world. He said, everybody's going to tell you the same thing. It's going to be just like this. <laughs> and he slapped me <laughs> right in the face. And sure enough, everybody did. We got the best. We got the, the, this and that. But it was amazing. So, um, you know, Dean Smith came into my house and uh, – I what remember was that like? what, was that what like? was what was crazy was um, he well, I didn't know, but my father apparently knew because my dad and mom were longtime smokers all the way through high school. They smoked uh, while I was growing up and we'd been sitting there for about a half hour. Dean's sitting there. Roy's there. Young Roy, who did much of the recruiting, Roy Williams. Um, and uh, about 30 minutes into it, my dad just looked at Dean and said, all right, let's go have a smoke. And they went out and stayed for two hours on the front porch, just them talking, left me and Roy and my mom inside. And they were just sitting out there talking basketball, smoking cigarettes. So way cool, man. So So did your dad and Dean Smith go four corners on the rest of you? Is that what you said? (laughs) They did. They put it straight into the four corners. ISIS. (laughs) Played the clock out. (laughs) Played the clock out. How about that? And Jimmy V sat in a parked car till midnight. To yeah. talk to you, make sure he did it all buttoned up. Right there on Tamarack Road. Uh, yeah, it was crazy. Real, real, real. Dude. It, was, it was kind of surreal. Was, we lived in Owensboro, Kentucky, which is, for Kentucky, is a town of about 60,000. At the time, it was probably the third biggest city in the state. And mm-hmm. so, um, but still having those guys, Bobby Crimmins and and uh, every co- every famous coach in the country come into our cafeteria and, ha- and sit up on the stage with the teachers. Um, you know, it was a big deal for for Owensboro, Kentucky. And, and, and for, for me, I, it, of course, yeah, it, it was exciting. And for people's frame of reference, what year was that? When that would have been there? oh man, mid '80s. So I, I went to school in at college in '86. So this had been '84, '85. In fact, my mom just the other day. Um, she dropped off a bunch of boxes that had been in storage and I pulled them out literally yesterday. Um, unopened mail from Carolina, Kansas, um, all of these coaches back when you had to do the letter mail. Um, there's, there's hundreds of letters, uh, just sitting there. I'm going to go through them at some point and see what everybody was talking about. So you technically told Dean Smith, no, when he just won with Jordan. That's why I'm trying to put this all together, pretty much. Uh, that right after that, yeah, right after that though, um, my you know Michael was in the NBA, and and so I came home from school one day, and my uh, the at this point I really was I was down to three schools: Kentucky, Carolina, and and uh, U of L, mm-hmm. and 
my sister was on the phone. She was a grade younger, right? And this was not great for either one of us, you know, people, high school kids who want to be on the phone all the time anyway. Um, the, the, the phone was off the hook from the recruiters all the time. And I'd gotten tired of it. But my dad made a rule that, hey, if recruiters call, you got to get off the phone, Jenny. Jenny, my sister. So she hated this rule. And apparently I was at home one day. Uh, she was on the phone. She clicks over on the other line and says, hello. And voice says, Hi, this is Michael Jordan. I'm here. Uh, can I talk to Rex? And she said, yeah, right. And hung up and, and <laughs> hung up on him. He called right back and he said, no, no, no. Hey, this is Michael Jordan. And I hear my sister go, Rex, it's Michael Jordan. And just real shitty and had to get off. She got off the phone real quick so I could talk to Michael. And then Michael asked me, you know, said, hey, I'm calling for Dean. Um you know, love for you to go to Carolina. I did end up going and visiting and had a great visit uh, and then uh, went to Kentucky. But then a couple of years later, Michael and I ended up, I ended up going with his agent, David Falk. And yeah. so, yeah, we came, we became fast friends after that. I bet so. And then, so your time in the NBA, how did, how, how did you keep a straight head, Rex, you know, with your, your ascension in Kentucky and, or you did not? I'm not Keep sure if I head. did. I, I mean, I, if you mean straight head as, a, as opposed to staying away from drugs and alcohol, I did that. Um, I, I was always an addict, I think. And when I think back, basketball addict first and foremost. And, mm -hmm. you know, nobody really has a problem with that because it's, you know, it's, they think it's being channeled all in the right direction and you're, it's good for you and all that stuff. But I was really, really one dimensional. And I didn't really know who I was or what I was outside of basketball, you know, right. and I started having a family, my wife and I, ex-wife and I, we married for 20 years, four great kids. Um, but, you know, playing in the NBA is a weird existence. It's not real life. It's, um, it's just, I feel very fortunate to have done it. And, and it was what I wanted to do. However, there were a lot, a lot of it was kind of like, be careful what you wish for. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be interviewed every day. I didn't want to do other things except play basketball. And that's not all you have to do in professional sports. You gotta, you've got to do things, the other things. So it took me a while to learn all that. And I, I kind of rebuffed it at first. I, I don't know that I was the most approachable young athlete. Um, and in fact, I know I wasn't, you know, I would play aloof a lot of the times with the media just so they wouldn't talk to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I think I suffered, suffered from social anxiety, you know, for much of my life. So being around people that I didn't know, or that just knew me from basketball, that's always been kind of awkward. And I've, I've, you know, you walk out of the house, I, from the time I was 15, I've been recognized in this state and, you know, pretty much everywhere I go in, in sporting circles. So, and that's not always comfortable. I've learned to, you know, handle it better. Uh, but I, you know, back to your question, what did I do? I, what I did, I learned how to be an addict. I, I went from playing during the season and whenever I wasn't playing during the season, I was at the racetrack. You know, if we played in New York and I had a day off, I was going to Aqueduct and I was spending my day at Aqueduct. And if we were going to be a day in Philly, I was going to the OTB in Philly. And if we were going to Golden State, I was going to be at Golden Gate Fields. So I was playing horses my whole life. I was gambling, uh, playing horses, playing golf and playing basketball. And that's what I did season to season to season to season to season for 12 or 13 years. I had three surgeries my last seven years of playing mm -hmm. and I wasn't very good. My last, my last year, I felt like I was going to retire at the end of the year. And I had an emergency appendectomy and a doctor gave me, I got off the plane in Phoenix. Doctor gave me Oxycontin and you know, I'd had surgeries before I'd been on pain medicine before very briefly, but I, I didn't really like it because I knew I had to get back playing and I needed to know if that hurt or not. I couldn't have it, you know, numb. I needed to know if it was going to be all right. Well, after, with this Oxycontin, he gave it to me. And within two days, Rich, I, I, I was in love. I, I felt like I was smarter, funnier, better husband, better dad. Uh, 
more just it was all a lie but this drug had a hold of me that fast and if i fast forward about 18 months a hellish 18 months danny ainge has come to me our danny ainge with the celtics a good good friend of mine and uh, has come to me and said, Rex, you're a mess, man. You're throwing your whole life away. You've got a drug problem and you've got to go away. And I thought I, I kind of, I was kind of mad. Like who, that's how lost I was though. This guy's looking out for me. And I was like, what, what business is it of yours? Mm-hmm. However, he's the best person I've ever known. Maybe. And somehow through, and at the time I was taking about 40 Vicodin a day and about 10 Oxycontin a day. Jeez, Rex. Yeah. And I was just eating them. I, you know, and again, I didn't drink, uh, I was just chewing them up to get them into my system. And with the Oxycontin, they're time release. So when you break that time release, it's, you're off to the races and that, you know, obviously that's how people die. They snort this stuff. They inject it. Um, I was fortunate never to do that. Uh, and then, sorry about my dog in the back. No, it's okay. I've um, got two here too, Rex. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Uh, but th- that medicine, it just took a hold and, uh, I, I went to rehab and, um, I, I got off the medicine, but I had another surgery shortly thereafter. Six months later, I was back on the Vicodin and never went back on the Oxycontin ever again. It was just a monster of a drug, but I w- was back on painkillers again and really rich in and out of that for about 15 years until 2014. I was arrested, got in trouble, was, and every time I, every time I talk about this, yes, it's therapeutic, therapeutic, but it does make me want to cry. Um, arrested for shoplifting in an Apple store. Well, I mean, uh, in terms of that, Rex, like you're, yeah. that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, Yeah, you know, is because, you know, this, this pod is born out of the pandemic, turning people's lives upside down, but painkiller addiction is, is, is a scourge in this country still is. And, you know, I wanted to get your, your sense that, uh, to try and help people yeah. in that regard. And that's what you do so well. You do that so much. Rex, I know you're you're being you know modest right there with a little head head bob, but it's true. So you know, and I, I kind of wanted to give you a second for yourself. Thanks. What was it that was it that moment that that was the lowest moment for you? That that's where it turned for you was getting arrested. I think you know. Again, if I go back, and it's really really dip, you know, hard emotionally to go back because you know my two older kids, they're twenty eight. 26, 22, and 20, boy, girl, girl, girl. The two older ones were kind of together. The two younger ones were a little bit together, you know? And so for much of the little girl's lives, I was not very good. I was, you know, I was, um, uh, on painkillers. And so when I was arrested, you know, my, my son was in college, my daughter was in college, but these two younger girls were in middle school and high school. And just the the guilt that I still carry over putting them through this, going to school, their dad, who's, you know, uh, I, people knew me in Phoenix. They, you know, I'd just been playing ball there. I'd lived, been living there for 20 years. Um, that embarrassment, you know, I'd let myself down more than anything. I, I had never in my life come across something that, that just could take me out. I never even knew something was out there that could do that. And that, that kind of, it, it, I'm glad I know it, but it, it also, it, it's scary because you, you know, you can, you can be back there if you don't watch out. And so, um, yeah, you know, you brought up a good point about the pandemic. Um, and I, it's really strange retiring at age 32 or 35 or 38 if you're lucky enough to, uh, at 32, whenever anybody asked me, what are you going to do all through playing? I always said, ah, I'm just going to play golf and chase my kids around. That was great for about a year. Also, it would have been great if I hadn't been on drugs at that point, but I was, um, I, in, over the last year though, rich, one of my, one of, I won't say his name, but one of my really good buddies, uh, one of my moral compasses that, that I've grown up with my whole life, 
guy, he's an amazing dude, emotionally just right there. And, you know, almost never had a bad day in his life. And the pandemic came and went through a tough time in his relationship. His dad died. He called me one day and, you know, he, he's, he's thinking about retiring here in a few years. And he called me one day just down and said, Hey man, you ever, you ever feel down? Like you, you don't know what's wrong. You feel like you should be somewhere else, but you don't know where that is. I said, every day, every minute. And he said, I said, you know, Mike, you're also going through something where you've been home and your experience, a little bit of of retirement right now. It's kind of be careful what you wish for. You work all that time and your routine and he's a worker bee too. And he likes to work. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden that stuff's taken away. And when that's gone, it's just like playing basketball your whole life. When that's gone, you go into mourning. And, you know, whenever you retire, whatever it's from, yeah, I'm sure you're, but you're going to go through, there's a, there's a void there that you've got to fill somehow. And if you're not prepared to fill it right then and there, you can really veer off track. So what do you say to people, Rex? Life's hard. I mean, again, (laughs) that's, that's one of the, that's what I'm saying is that, that that's one of the reasons why I, I, I dubbed the name of this podcast, just getting started because there's so many different meanings to it where you can get restarted or you're just getting started on something completely new business-wise. As you point out, your friend is about to just get started on trying, having to find uh, a, a new life after being a worker bee. What do you say to somebody who is dealing with either an addiction or needing to fill that void and has a family that, you know, that you feel like you're disappointed or you're, you're needing to make sure they you can keep things going for what do you, what do you say? What can you advise? Man, the, I think the the hardest thing, especially coming from an athletic background is asking for help. And, you know, a lot of us, a lot of athletes think that they're invincible and that, you know, I've done this on my own and you know, you really haven't, you've had coaches and teammates and all that stuff. Um, the, uh, the teachers, everybody that's helped you get to where you are. And, uh, addiction is something that is, is virtually impossible to dig out of on your own. And so you've got to reach out and ask for help. And if you're struggling with addiction, you've got to get clean, however that is. And I, you know, I, I don't know whether it's 12 step, 12 step doesn't work for everybody. It wasn't particularly my, my thing, but it did get me, uh, off of medicine and, and to a place where I could start taking stock of me as a person with therapy. Uh, talking to a therapist has been the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things for me. I had to learn, you know, kind of who I was, what I like to do, things that were good for me. Um, and, and the biggest thing is not isolating, you know, get out there. I think also, Rich, playing a sport, you know, is, it's sort of surreal. I mean, hmm. all of my friends dreamed of it dreamt of it. They all did. They all, you know, prayed at night to be six, five and athletic. And then I, I was able to do that. And there's not a day that goes by that. I don't think about how fortunate I am, but then there's, you know, I, there's some part of me that, that feels kind of guilty about it too, that, you know, why me? And then, uh, on top of that, being at sort of that high where, you know, you can, get 10, 10 points in a minute and force a coach to call a timeout that he didn't want to burn. <laughs> There's a high to that that really is difficult to replace. And no matter what you do in life, I don't know that you're going to have that particular, you know, emotion. And so you got to be willing, you got to know that not everything's going to be that exhilarating, but there's so much more out there if you don't isolate continue to be curious, continue to, you know, continue to talk to your smart friends. That's, that's been one of my biggest, biggest keys. I have a lot of smart friends somehow that have helped me along the way and guided me through things. You know, I'm not, I'm a college dropout. I don't have a degree. I've had to learn a lot of stuff from, from my friends. So, how wild is it for you, Rex, 
that there's a whole legion of people out there who probably don't know you played basketball. That you, <laughs> honestly, I mean, you yeah. have found a platform through Twitter and social media that has collected a large group of people. I see who retweets you. I mean, I, I follow people from politics. I follow people mm-hmm. from uh, movies, TV. I just follow people who's who put interesting things in my timeline with enough uh, positivity. That's that's what I do. And obviously, I followed you because I knew you from sports, and then I really right. enjoyed your style. The block and charge stuff really <laughs> got me involved. That's how you drew me in. Yeah. But, you know, there are a ton of people out there who might be like, he played basketball? I mean, how yeah. how does that hit you? Because you, inf- you have restarted in that respect. Rex. Yeah, I, yeah, very, very weird. I, w- I was at the uh, uh, NBA rookie combine a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, um, you know, I, I was just out there. Guys were coming out on the court. I remember, it was the year with Taco Fall. And those guys, I just mm-hmm. remember him r- walking out on the court and a kid came up to me from, uh, from, uh, Tennessee that I'd covered all season long. Uh, Grant Williams now plays for the Celtics. And he mm-hmm. came up to me and said, Hey, because he saw my ID, I had said Rex Chapman on my lanyard yeah. and he said, you're Rex Chapman. I said, yeah. He said the guy from Twitter. And I said, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that yes, is Grant, that's this. That's who I am. Uh, another time it happened was at the SEC tournament. I had to go get my credential, and I made my way to the bowels of the you know in Nashville, wherever they had it. And they had a bunch of interns there, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one year old interns. I gave him my ID, and I saw him back there, kind of looking at it and whispering. And the guy came back and said, "Are you the guy from Twitter?" I was like, yeah, that's me. I thought for sure. But they, I, in that moment, I just wanted my ID, wanted my <laughs> credential. And I thought for sure he's going to be like the basketball player. I was like, yeah, that's me. No, the guy from Twitter. <laughs> the guy from Twitter. Yeah. So how did Blocker Charge start? Yeah. Because, I mean, is it just a bunch of nut shots that you found on Twitter? And, and Basically. Like- <laughs> um, I w- one day, uh, a couple of years ago, and I may have mentioned this to you before on your other show. Yes. Um, I, I was really down on uh, on the political climate. Twitter, I felt, was toxic. Social yep. media was toxic. I was just over it. This was a two or three years ago. And um, I wanted off. But, you know, in this sort of line of business, you kind of need some sort of social media presence. People you work for kind of want that as well. It helps. And one day, seriously, just scrolling through the internet, and I saw a video of uh, a school of dolphins swimming into shore while a guy was paddleboarding out. And right as he's paddleboarding uh, over a wave, one of the dolphins jumped up, hit him in the chest, knocked him off the paddleboard. And I said to myself aloud, that's a fucking charge. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> um, for whatever reason, I tweeted it out. People thought it was funny. And then I just started kind of doing that blocker charge. And it took the pressure off. Right. I don't have to be clever. I don't have to talk about politics. No, nothing. Just blocker charge. A little fun, you know, people. But you can only show mu- so much of people just getting brutally punished. <laughs> <laughs> and I always enjoyed it because like I for the for the first few times that I saw it, Rex, I was actually looking to see if their feet were safe. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I was I actually trying yeah. to be literal about it and then exactly. it was just like screw it you know it could be a block could be a charge could be yeah. both who knows who traveling even knows who yeah who's on offense that's the other part about it we don't know because <laughs> there was one with a dog where like a child was like just stand the, the child did just stop when the dog pushed the child pushed over. over that's right that's All right that is a charge i that's mean he charge, stopped he set the feet feet were set <laughs> I was looking for, a, you know, I was looking for a semicircle. I was looking to see if there was, you know. Outside the line. Outside. Right. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so damn funny. And then, yeah. you know, um, now it's interesting. You are really political, Rex. And, um, you know, so do you think you would have, if your sensibilities now were installed in the player? Because there's so much that does go on right now the whole concept of shut up and dribble or what should, should players 
speak their mind. Personally, I think players, and you're a perfect attestment to that, is you know, you're humans. So you you can talk. It's not like, you know, you before you take your three-point shot, turn around to the camera and start talking about something that uh, the, could be the right or left side of the aisle. You, right. You're performing. But the question yeah. is, is what, what what is your stance on all of that, Rex, before you hit send on, on that? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really proud of what our our NBA, what our league has done. Um, you know, I think we've sort of set the set the mark for the professional sports leagues and of, um, you know, being socially conscious, conscious um, what the guys did in the bubble, what the ladies did last year, the WNBA players, I think had a huge part in the political landscape of this country. I think that, uh, I think in no large part, uh, to these guys, thanks goes to them. Um, I think there's a chance that what they've done over the last year, speaking their minds, being thoughtful about what they're talking about, making sense, um, led to a change in power in Washington. Mitch McConnell's no longer uh, in power there, and I bring him up only because he's been a senator in the state of Kentucky since I was a 15-year-old junior in high school. And, um, you know, I, I make no bones about it. I'm not a Mitch McConnell fan. I'm very, uh, I'm very appreciative for what the NBA has done and what these guys have done. Also, it's very brave. It's very brave. There are things I wish I would have spoken up on, you know, race-wise 30 years ago that I didn't have. I didn't have the courage. I didn't have the understanding. I didn't have the confidence. Um, and I'm not sure I had the money. The, the thing with guys now, that's the thing. I'm not sure these guys have the money. It's, it's more important than that. You know, what we saw over the last year with – George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, right here in my backyard at, in Louisville. Um, I thought I, I was just shocked, and I, I'm I, I'm appreciative of the stance that the NBA has taken, and I'm appreciative of Adam Silver for uh, his leadership. And um, and then you know the aspect that I think has caused much uh, of your following to explain, expand and blossom Rex is just the positivity that you'll, you'll put in. Um, I love it. You know, yeah. and it's it, certainly in this day and age, again, maybe a podcast about argument or um, inflaming or talking about an issue that is divisive mm -hmm. um, in, in a, in a manner that is um, exclusionary. We see that a lot. We see that. Yep. I mean, we see in sports the 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 you know split screen and then the topic bar about something that's po yeah. totally outrageous. I I I I don't know. I I kind of that's my competition almost every day for the most <laughs> I know. part. You know, but uh, I wanted to talk about something positive here. And I mean, where do you find some of these videos? Some of these beautiful videos of humanity, and then of course, you know, you had me with the first dog yeah, video too. Where my wife has even sent here, take a picture dog of this dog videos. of our dog and send it to Rex. Maybe he'll post it. Like <laughs> so literally, great. that has happened. Yeah. So, where where do you find them, Rex? Like, what and why? Man, at first, I guess. Well, again, you know, I, I you can only beat people over the head with blocker charge so much. You can only beat them over the head with political stuff so much, whether, whether you're on their side or not, you know, before long, it just becomes white noise. And so, you know, we're all human and I, most of us, many of us are, are pet people. Um, I'm not so much into cats, but my daughter loves cats. So, I have to love cats as well now. Um, but, uh, dogs, By the way, I love how you tiptoe around yeah, that subject because you know, you know, cat people. Uh, when somebody I says, "I'd rather just not be uh, around a cat," you know, I know that's you. Just I just love out of all the subject matters that we've hit directly <laughs> in this podcast, cat. you just tiptoed around yeah. criticizing cats. I know I didn't want to just come straight out and say cats are assholes. I didn't <laughs> want to say that. 
<laughs> that is so funny. But, uh, I'm, I, but I don't no, mean to interrupt. Just, I just had to point no, that out. That you, I, I'm with you. Just I'm just saying. Uh, you know, <laughs> mix in the feel good stuff. Uh, and you know, I, I guess I did spend more time a while back looking for stuff, trying to find stuff. Anymore, I'm so lucky, Rich, because I'll I'll go work out. I'll get up, get done, and there's five people that I know strictly from Twitter mm. who've sent me five just beautiful feel good stories and i got to kind of pick at that point and then maybe just put a little wording behind it mm-hmm. it's really easy at this point i'm very fortunate none of the content is mine i'm i have such good friends and such good people out there in the twitter sphere that just send me great stuff it's awesome so you you get just unsolicited here's some videos i found and they give it to you because they know that you've got the platform you'll hit it out yeah. there huh yeah yeah that is so cool can you drop a name if you don't mind like who who have you who have you gotten well, to know through twitter that you don't think you'd ever have gotten to know oh, potentially through oh all of everybody uh i remember waking up to a um now mind you i lived in my car for a few days a few years ago five six seven years ago now uh-huh. uh but i woke up one morning here not long ago and had a message a direct message from sasha baron cohen and Really, and it was about uh, <laughs> it was about Trump um, and how it was after the January sixth thing, and uh, he was really, as many of us were, hoping that Twitter would ban him, and he asked for my help. I put out a couple tweets, I amplified his tweets, and in a couple days, the man was off of Twitter. Um, so that sort of blows me away. A guy like Sasha Baron Cohen, who, forget what you know about him as an actor, that's a brilliant human being on a different different level, kind of brilliant. Uh, So things like that, when I look up and I see, I don't know, uh, Nancy Pelosi's following my account or, um, you know, some leader from another, you know, New Zealand, I I don't... I don't understand really how it happened. And many of these people, like I, I had Jane Lynch on, the actress, Jane Lynch, on, your uh, pod. on our on our pod the other day. And she had no idea. She just knows me from Twitter. She knows Josh Hopkins, Mr. Sure. Josh Hopkins, a little bit from the acting world. But she has no idea who I, you know, that I'm played sports or anything. She just knows me from Twitter, uh, which is surreal. And I'm finding more and more that the, the other part that I'm finding, like you said, Rich, we're all kind of searching, especially right now. We've been shut down for a year and we're searching for that community. I think a lot of this has been, you know, kind of therapeutic. You get together with like-minded individuals and, you know, I think you want to be challenged in this social media space somewhat by people who know more than you do. That's what I look for. I don't want to just follow dummies like me. I want to follow people smarter than me and connecting with people like that through, Twitter has just been phenomenal. So before I let you go, Rex, just a little bit of fun here. Best player you ever lit up in a game. Who's the best player? Is this a, is this a trick question? No. Who's the best player you ever lit up in a game? Rex? Uh, I guess, uh, I guess Jordan. Michael, you you that, lit up Michael in a game? Yeah, yeah, I did. Well, I, normally, when people say that, I say which time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Pardon me if there's this if there's a famous yeah, moment you where you know? lit up Jordan that I that I that I you didn't know that that I memory hold for some reason. No, go ahead. Yeah, Rex. I think yeah. Well, we did. I I I um, we beat them when they were seventy two and ten, uh, or seventy. 72 and 10. Is that the last uh, dance? The last dance bowls. That's right. Okay. Yeah. And so we played them at our place in Miami. We only had eight players available because we just made a trade. Uh-huh. And um, they came to our place uh, down at South Beach and they were out. When I say they were out all night, they they thought this is an easy win. You know, we were 41 and 41 that year and they swept us in the first round of the playoffs right. like we were a JV team. 3-0. You know, best three out, three out of five. But this is about a month before all of that. And when I say they were partying on South Beach all night, I know they were because I was there <laughs> with them. And so <laughs> we we uh, we sneaked them. 
<laughs> we sneaked them the next night at our place. I got 39 and we won and uh, gave them one of their uh, losses for, for that season. And then we actually played them about two weeks later in another regular season game. Yes. And Michael and I have known each other forever. Right. And uh, the jump ball went up and threw the ball up and he went and cracked me in the sternum with an elbow right from the get-go where I went, oh, shit. And I went, ah, I guess it's going to be like that all night. And guess what? It was. He got like 40 and three quarters, didn't play the fourth, and I went like three for 13 and had 13 points, something like that. But, yeah, there you go. He, there you he would go. Probably, he would probably be the best one, I would guess. I'll tell you what, Rex, you know, and, and this is the problem <laughs> with conversations, you know, um, certainly between generations about comparing all-time greats because that means if you take the approach of one better than the other, it does insinuate that the other is less than. You're denigrating an all-time great. But the LeBron versus Michael conversation, to me, you know, when you speak to somebody who knows both eras, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is it is a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. But then you talk to a younger generation of somebody who never saw Michael play, mm-hmm. and they're so insistent that LeBron is head and shoulders yeah. above Michael. It's it 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 it's I I, I kind of have to hold back. I don't mean to, I don't mean to yeah. be like that. I don't want to be that old man like you no, never saw this man play, but. You never saw this man play. You know what I'm right. saying? And I think I think we all come at it from our own little window of perspective. When I say that, it's like I, I think Michael's the best too, of course. However, LeBron is creeping into that conversation for me. I mean, he he's he's amazing, and he's never made a misstep. He never and forget about the decision and all that stuff. Dude has never made a misstep. I'm a huge, huge fan. And especially of everything that he does off the court. So uh, that's a huge plus. Um, You know, Isaiah Thomas famously, he he doesn't revere Michael the way, or, you know, and even when you talk to him off offset, you know, he's not denigrating Michael. He's just saying he didn't become Michael Jordan and he didn't until Isaiah and them were kind of gone until it right at the end. He didn't really, Michael didn't ascend. He had to go through them. And so, and they were younger or uh, uh, Isaiah and them were older. It's like when people ask me about Kobe and I, I played against Michael and Kobe played against older Michael, like young Michael I played against young Kobe. I saw what Kobe became unbelievably good but i could never put him with michael and maybe that's just because i'm older you know it is kind of get off my lawn um so i think it's it's so difficult to distinguish michael was just so different his mindset his killer mentality and then the thing that really his bounce was elite but his hands i mean um (laughs) We went bowling one night before a game in Chicago and a bunch of us, a bunch of his buddies and, and we're, you know how you'll, you'll be bowling and, uh, you'll roll one ball, come back, the pins didn't reset and you got to roll another ball down to clear the lane, yes, just right. roll another ball down there. And so Michael's telling a story, he's got his back to the pins and we alert him that, Hey, they need to roll a ball down the lane to reset the pins. And he looked back, he reached over, he picked up a 17-pound bowling ball, not with the holes. He palmed it, backhanded it down the lane. And I just, I looked at everybody else and they went, oh, you didn't know he could do that? I went, fuck, no, I didn't know he could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Did he clear it with one shot or? or? uh, Well, he didn't even have to hit anything. He just rolled it, you know, rolled it backhanded down there. I thought you said he was going to clear like a 7-10 split that way. And I'm like... (laughs) What? No, but I mean, when you see guys do that, and Michael, he, he knew what he was doing too. He he right. was great with coming up and giving you a great big uh, dap hand handshake before the game because his hand just enveloped your whole arm. It, it was an intimidation ploy, you know. It, it really did. And when you see him pushing off of uh, Brian Russell yeah. against Utah, yeah. you don't understand what that little that hand 
is so big and it just, it, it's like a vice grip and just there for a moment, all he needs is that little push to get you off, uh, get you off of him. He was a, he was a freak of nature physically. Um, I feel fortunate to have stories to tell about him. I mean, it was a, it was a joy playing against it. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I thought Russell was supposedly he slipped. You're, you're saying Michael shoved him. <laughs> he might've got away for, with a little for his last dance. Sean, I mean, <laughs> wow. I, again, yeah, hey, you're breaking. This, this is breaking. Yeah, this is going to go over great Utah. Uh, hey, Rex, thanks for the uh, for the time. Really appreciate it. Who's on your pod this week with Mr. Josh Hopkins? Who's on? We've got week? Jamal Mashburn oh, this week. And next week, we're going to have Stefan Wardell Curry. Young Stefan. Stefan's coming on the pod. Dude, he is on fire. I just right wish now. he was playing better right now. Give us I know, something right? to talk I mean, about. You, know? you could make a case that he's he's never been better. Right no, I, I, I'm anxious to talk to him because I really felt like last year or two years ago, right before he broke his hand, mm-hmm. I felt like he was playing the best basketball he's ever been playing. And it looks like he's just kind of rounding back into 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 form. Well, Rex, uh, everyone can get your pod. We're all podcasts are acquired. The Rex Chapman Show, you and Mr. Josh Hopkins. And Rex, uh, uh, I'm be- thrilled to be able to call you a friend. Uh, I appreciate Absolutely. it. Please have me. I was about to do Jamal Mashburn followed by Steph Curry. I mean, I, I, I can maybe beat my kids in knockout. I don't know if that's okay to, to anytime for come on. I'd love to anytime. I'm, I'd love to have you rich. I'll have you have me on right after the draft. We can talk about that and all the good stuff with St. Jude. Cause I know that you're into Can't the wait. positivity of what's going on. So I appreciate it, Rex. Anytime rich. Thank you, buddy. Good Lord, I love Rex Chapman. Man, I'm, I'm sure we could have him back on, and he's got stories for days. And again, what's uh, what's uh, become of him after his downfall? And, you know, as somebody who's in this chair, I have, you know, a, a choice to just let him get emotional over, you know, his shoplifting arrest. And, you know, for those who are listening right now, you can see, by the way, every episode of this on the Rich Eisen Show YouTube page, youtube.com slash Rich Eisen Show. Our entire archive is there. And, you know, he was getting emotional. He's putting his hands on his eyes, and I think he was tearing up. And um, I decided to give him a minute. He tells the story sometimes, not all the time, but it is um, it's tough because I'm sure a lot of people like to poke fun in his direction. And certainly when he posts something that uh, does not jibe with someone's political point of view or uh, their uh, viewpoint of uh, the direction of our country, um, I'm sure that's what they throw in his face. And for someone to be so positive on Twitter, which we all know can be a total complete cesspool, it is remarkable his positivity that he has. And if you don't follow Rex Chapman, you should. And, um, that's one of the th- reasons why I want to have my man so positive and what a story that he that he has. Uh, and, you know, and and what I mentioned about St. Jude, um, my annual run that I run every single year in my suit and tie at the Combine. There was no Combine this year because of what was going on in the world. And so um, I, uh, I, I didn't know if I was going to have my run this year for um, for many reasons. Because I didn't know when we could do it. I didn't know, you know, when it could air. I didn't know anything other than the fact that I wanted to do it in some way, shape, or form because it's now done on behalf of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So uh, it's going to get announced later on Wednesday um, on the 21st. I don't know when everyone might be listening to this podcast on April, uh, on the April docket. But um, that's when we're planning on announcing it. The it being me running for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital this year with the run airing during the NFL draft and me having not one, not two, but 16 other people run it with me. I can't give out too much more information right now on this show. But what I would love for everyone to do um, is go to stjude.org slash runrichrun and donate, give whatever you can. Every single dollar counts because St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, everything they do there is donation-based. And the everything that they do there 
is get sick kids better. People come from all over the country to go to St. Jude. And what's covered for the families who go to the campus at Memphis, Tennessee of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, they cover everything. They cover healthcare. They cover the costs of traveling to and from St. Jude. They cover lodging. They cover room and board food. They cover everything for every family so they don't have to worry about picking up their lives and leaving their jobs to go with their children who have just gotten the nightmare diagnosis for all parents out there. The nightmare diagnosis that the sudden pain in their leg or their sudden pain in their arm or their sudden blurriness of vision, their sudden inability to stay upright, that they're losing their balance is in fact something born out of cancer or a disease that needs immediate assistance. And St. Jude brings everyone there and makes sure they never see a bill. So all the families focus on is the children getting better. And they also, that's why they call it research hospital. They also make sure that kids don't get to, don't have to go to St. Jude because the research that they do there makes these cancers more curable. So St. Jude is a, a place that's heaven on, on earth, to say the least. And that's why I run for him. And this year's run is going to be special because of the 16 people who are running with me. I've got some assistance. Uh, we're running in the home of the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 56. Um, here in Los Angeles, SoFi Stadium at Hollywood Park. I'll throw that one out there for everybody here on Just Getting Started. And we just ran it this past weekend. I'm in one piece, I'm happy to say. My time has uh, been filed for 2021. And I have a, a pretty darn group of humans and players who ran with me to raise some money. So we're going to show you the contents of that on the NFL Draft. I'll do another pod next week before I leave for Ohio for the NFL Draft right around the corner. But for everyone here on Just Getting Started, I want to thank Rex Chapman, and we'll, we'll see you next week. <laughs>